This is Frank Dominguez for the WDAV Piedmont Arts Podcast. The Queen City's Venerable Opera Company is departing from its familiar repertory for their next production to present something timely and powerful. The rhythm and blues opera I Dream will be presented May 18th through the 25th in the Knight Theater at the Levine Center for the Arts in Charlotte. And my guests for this episode of the podcast are James Mina, General Director and Principal Conductor of Opera Carolina, and Douglas Tappan, the composer of this intriguing new work. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, Frank. Good to be here. Good morning. Jim, let's start with you. Why is Opera Carolina presenting this departure from the usual, and why at this time? You know, Frank, opera and theater in general have always been a safe place for communities to have constructive conversations about contemporary issues. Trace this lineage all the way back to the ancient Greeks, in which subjects of equality and persecution from the gods and avarice and, uh, you know, even Oedipus Rex and a little bit of uh, incest, you know, are subjects that we in the theater have been able to present to the public in a way that they then can have safe reflection and safe conversation. So um, we tend to forget that, particularly in the opera house where we're so occupied with selling tickets for the next production of Carmen or Madama Butterfly and doing our job as stewards of the great repertory from the 18th and 19th century that we sometimes forget that our mission as a theatrical institution uh, is to allow the public to reflect on contemporary issues. So when Douglas and I Uh, first talked now almost two and a half years ago, and he presented this work uh, to me, and I read the script, and I said, you know, this really fits in our mission as an arts institution. Even though the musical language is not the musical language of Mozart or Verdi or Puccini, it's very contemporary, which really Mozart and Verdi and Puccini were writing in very contemporary styles in their time. Mm -hmm. So this really does fit our larger mission as an arts organization. And, you know, we've been actually been stretching the definition of opera, uh, certainly in the States, but worldwide for the last 20 years. Uh, so, you know, this is why we really felt this was an important work for us to invest in and why we're so excited about it. Douglas, let me ask you to describe the work for us. I've used the term a rhythm and blues opera. I hope that's an accurate description. How would you talk about it? Well, that's, that's the term that, that we ourselves are using. Um, and story-wise, uh, it, it's based on the life of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and its focus is the last 36 hours in his life. Um, but in addition to um, being focused on that 36-hour um, period, it, it, it explores aspects of his childhood, the, the foundations of the civil rights movement in Montgomery, and, and other things, um, other places um, that, that occurred in the civil rights movement through to 1968. Um, so that, that narratively, that's, that's what it covers. Musically, uh, it, it, is, it is those two things, rhythm and blues and opera, um, blended together, meshed together in, in the best way that I could do. Um, and so folks will hear uh, arias, recitative, um, duets, trios, uh, but also aspects of blues and gospel and jazz and spirituals all in the same piece, uh, all used 
I would say, appropriately uh, for the purpose of storytelling. How did you become attracted to this story and get the idea that it could be told in this musical hybrid? Through, through an unusual route, cause, uh, because I, I grew up in the U.K., and growing up in the U.K. I thought I noticed something about yeah, you. As we I'm, say, I'm, he's not from around here. I'm, I'm trying to disguise the accent, n- not in the slightest bit, actually. <laughs> um, but uh, when you grow up in, in London or, or in Europe, um, the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King Jr., are distant names, distant his, his history. Um, he, he was as familiar to me as Nelson Mandela was, who was still alive when I was growing up. Um, And it wasn't until I moved to Atlanta in 2004 that I began to become more aware of the details of the civil rights movement, who he was, what had happened. And and then then the experience was realizing you're in a city where so much of it actually took place. And not just that, there are people who lived there, who knew him, had marched with him, had been in jail with him, family members. Um, And and the more that I became immersed in that, the more I read, the more people I, I spoke to, the more stories that were passed to me the more there was this overwhelming sense of compulsion, really, that I had to tell the story. The question then is, how do you do that? Um, um, I, I, I'm always drawn to the idea of, of trying to tell stories um, that, that are broad, um, that are operatic in scale, that are epic in scale. Um, and in order to do that, music absolutely helps you. Um, I, I just, this, this couldn't have been a play um, for me anyway. But, you know, he says that, but frankly, one of the compelling aspects of this piece is that the the libretto is as strong as the music and you know oftentimes it doesn't happen in opera particularly contemporary opera mm-hmm. you know there are some works that come off the top of my head that I will not name where the weakest aspect of it is the script and Douglas as the author of the libretto as well as the composer of the music has done a wonderful job, masterful job, really in crafting a story and telling it in terms that is extremely accessible and extremely uplifting. Douglas, I was going to ask you, uh, because I've become aware in recent years about what a significant force music was in the life of Dr. King uh, and his family. His uh, uh, wife had apparently studied voice and uh, music was very important in all kinds of music. Uh, so I wonder uh, how that uh, inspired you to to go about writing this piece. Well, I did notice that that I believe he was Dr. King was listening to a Donizetti um, piece on his way down to uh, Montgomery to interview for the for the um, um, the role that he eventually took, um, and and uh, as well as understanding that, that that had been something that Coretta had, had, had been planning and aspired to, to be a concert singer, an opera singer, and, and had been uh, distracted from that path by meeting, meeting Martin King. Um, very, very um, helpful when you're trying to do something like this. Any, any markers, anything that say, says to you that you're not wrong or crazy <laughs> to attempt this uh, was helpful, and those two things were both certainly helpful. Uh, Jim, I wanted to ask you about how you became aware about this work. You mentioned a meeting Douglas a couple of years ago now. So how did it come to your attention? Uh, Douglas and a um, um, mutual acquaintance um, set up a meeting just at the opera office and basically said, we have this piece. And uh, I read the libretto and I played through some of the music and I was sold. And, you know, Frank, I get... Composers, uh, I will get anywhere from three to six new operas sent to me every year from composers randomly and phone calls. And 
most of the time I looked at them and I say, okay, this is an interesting subject, but it's really not something that I felt is uh, would be worth our investing. This one, I don't think it took much convincing. Douglas, you have a fascinating and, and somewhat uh, unexpected background. Share a little bit of it briefly and how you came to focus on composing. If I had uh, lived a different life, I would have been a composer from the age of five. Um, but that wasn't going to happen because my parents believed in um, uh, what they would call more orthodox professions. Um, and we didn't know any composers. And, and so the only um, jobs that were f- acceptable were those that they could say, I know this person or that person or that person. So we knew doctors and and one lawyer who wasn't very good. Uh, um, And so that was, even that was frowned on. And so, so I I grew up, I I taught myself to play the piano. I I did formal musical training as well. um, But I was never going to go down that path uh, easily. Um, And law made sense. It was something I was able to do. It was a way to earn a living. And you know, you, you can always find ways to specialize, and I did. And so I found myself, or didn't find myself, I, I, I ended up working in in uh, an era, so copyright and contracts within the entertainment industry, so music and that, that type of thing. Um, I, I wrote a piece uh, over a long time um, called Deliverer that was about Moses and the Israelites. And in 2003, we staged that in London. Um, and that had been something that I'd written whilst whilst going to work, coming home, sitting and composing, falling asleep, waking up at three or four in the morning, thinking, oh, goodness, got to go to work. Got it done, put it on. Um, it went very well. And I remember looking out at the audience on the final night, and people were being moved by this, laughing, some people were weeping. And I had one of those thoughts that went something like this. I wonder what would happen if I just did this. Um, and didn't do the rest of it, and that, so that was the beginning of the transition to to moving out of here, out out here in as, as I said, two thousand four. So um, I, I just do this now. And how do your parents feel about it now? Uh, my, my father died in twenty thirteen, but got to see an earlier version of this and was very happy with it. And my my mother loves it most of the time, <laughs> but it depends who she's with. <laughs> um, but, but, but most of the time, but, but one of the experiences that, that was really meaningful to her um, was meeting Dr. King's sister. Uh-huh. They were about the same age um, in Atlanta in uh, 2010. That shut her up about everything. <laughs> My son had done something that meant that she was hugging Martin Luther King's big sister. And so, you know, you, you've got to do what you can to keep your parents happy. Jim, you get the last word. How does this production fit into Opera Carolina's mission, and where do you see this work going from here? It fits very well into our mission, Frank. You know, what we've been doing over the last three years is pushing the envelope. We started very small with um, two years ago, we did a presentation out in a couple of local breweries of the Tinder Opera, which were wonderful contemporary piece, and we paired that with... Um, uh, the Telephone and A Hand of Bridge by Sam Barber, and really got good response from it. And then we started to continue to build this whole initiative of doing new works. Of course, Opera Carolina, let me take a quick left here. Opera Carolina has a long history of presenting new works, all the way back to Willie Stark in the 80s of Carlisle Floyd to um, Abelard and Heloise. Uh, of Robert Ward. And then since I've been here, Cold Sassy Tree was one of our very first projects in 2003. And then Margaret Garner in uh, 
2007. So we've, you know, been doing this, but to actually invest in a new work at this level, this is now something quite new. Um, we are planning every year to do a major contemporary piece and to wrap it around a, an important subject that we then can engage the community in. So the lifeline for I Dream is we know what we want to do with it. Uh, we know what we hope the future is. Uh, we've invited several uh, opera companies and commercial producers here to see the piece uh, in a couple of weeks in Charlotte. And we anticipate that there will be additional performances both in major cities and we're even talking about a national tour. My guests have been James Mina, General Director and Principal Conductor of Opera Carolina, and Douglas Tappan, the composer of a dynamic new work presented by Opera Carolina at the Knight Theater, May 18th through the 25th, I Dream. Gentlemen, thanks for speaking with me. Thank you. Thank you. For the WDAV Piedmont Arts Podcast, I'm Frank Dominguez. Thanks to our colleagues at WFAE for the use of their Spirit Square studio for this interview. Subscribe to this podcast at WDAV.org slash subscribe and follow us on Facebook for classical music news, humor, and programming updates. WDAV is a service of Davidson College supported by listeners like you. Find us on the radio at 89.9 FM and HD1, streaming at WDAV.org, or on our mobile app available at Google Play and the iTunes App Store.